Hi, and thanks for listening to Here and Now Anytime. We've got new episodes every weekday afternoon, so make sure you don't miss anything by following and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Here and Now Anytime. And if you've already subscribed, tell a friend about us. Now here's the show. They're still in rescue mode, and we are going to do whatever we can to stay in that mindset and continue to assist them to see if we can get somebody out of the rubble. American firefighters travel to Turkey to help rescue people still trapped after the earthquake. It's Wednesday, February 15th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, a new law supposedly banned surprise medical bills last year. But patients still have no protection against surprise bills from ambulance operators. And the FDA is considering a new pill specifically designed to treat postpartum depression. We'll hear from one woman who says it saved her life. But first, the full scope of the damage from the earthquake in Turkey is still emerging nearly 10 days later. It literally reshaped the landscape along the border between Turkey and Syria. One olive grove in southeastern Turkey was split in half by a new 900-foot-long chasm. And the death toll continues to climb, now to more than 40,000. People have come from around the world to help with rescue and recovery efforts. Earlier today, we spoke with someone who made the trip from L.A. Frank Infante is part of the Los Angeles County Fire Department Urban Search and Rescue Team. He spoke with Deepa Fernandez. Since you arrived there, we've seen images of just buildings in rubble and we've heard and read about you know the the desperate attempt to find anyone who might still be alive has your team been involved directly in that so not only have we been involved in search and rescue we've also uh, have been involved with the uh, field assessment ass- assessing the entire city with the locals providing that data to see where their resources are needed and to build up their infrastructure On our search and rescue team, we also have structure specialists that we have brought with us. And they also have the capacity to start assessing buildings. It's a mission that we took when we went to Mexico City in 2017. We also brought our Mm. medical team managers that have uh, tied in with the paramedics, not only on site, but have visited the hospitals and have uh, started collaborating on creating some algorithms for uh, crush syndrome which has seemed to be uh, one of the biggest problems with the people that have been rescued alive, that have been trapped under the rubble or have had extremities trapped, and if not treated correctly, have a uh, greater chance of detrimental effects once pulled out from the rubble. So we've, we've been multifaceted here in the city assisting the Turkish government with whatever uh, needs they have and just providing them. Yeah. I want to ask you just specifically about helping to assess structures to see if they're safe that are still standing because we've been hearing stories of people who are freezing outside in the cold, you know, maybe right outside their apartment building but too afraid to go back in because it might collapse. Are your team able to assess buildings and give people kind of a a sense of security that it might be safe to at least go back in temporarily so they can shelter from the cold? 
Definitely. That has been one of our priorities when we're out on the sites for the buildings surrounding there. Well, we see that. We see uh, these people sleeping in their cars, afraid to go in. On our search and rescue team from the Los Angeles County contingent, we also have structure specialists from our Los Angeles County Department of Public Works. They've been taking it upon themselves to help these families while on the site and through translators explain to them why their building is safe and that if it was them, they would go back in there and live. So, you know, there's an emotional toll, but there is a human side that all our rescuers, everybody on our team, you know, feels and wants to do the best they can. That's why they're here, yeah. you know, and that's why they have yeah. their family supporting them back home. Can you tell me quickly what it takes when you maybe get a sense that somebody's under a pile of rubble or deep down? How do you help get them out? We've been in several operations like that throughout our time here. We start with one of our biggest assets, our uh, live canine search dogs. And did if, the, and did the dogs travel with you from Los Angeles? Yes, we have uh, six live fine canines that come with their handlers. They are a team and they work together as one. We put them on the collapse and once they start alerting, we would validate that with a second dog and then also start validating with our acoustic equipment and also uh, cameras that we have. We've had the dogs and our rescuers at least six levels down of a pancake collapse, still searching for victims within the, um, the designated area, trying to pinpoint wow. as close as we can with the dogs and the other equipment. Chief Infante, I have to ask you, I mean, it's now so many days past when the first earthquake hit and buildings started to collapse and rubble collected. Do you have hope that there might still be some people alive? You know what? Our hope is going to continue as long as the hope of the local government here continues. They're still in rescue mode, and we are going to do whatever we can to stay in that mindset and continue to assist them to see if we can get somebody out of the rubble. Frank Infante is Battalion Chief with the Los Angeles County Fire Department's Urban Search and Rescue Team. Frank, thank you so much, and stay safe out there. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. And if you want to help earthquake victims, you can find a list of organizations at hereandnow.org. Coming up, there's a loophole in the federal ban on surprise medical bills big enough to drive an ambulance through. What it means for you if you have an emergency after the break. Many Americans who found themselves in medical emergencies end up in ambulances that aren't covered by their health insurance. Those express trips to the hospital and the care patients receive along the way can end up costing hundreds or even thousands of dollars out of pocket, despite a law that was supposed to make sure people at least knew the cost of their medical care up front. Bob Herman has been looking into this loophole for the health and medicine publication STAT, and he talked to Deepa about it today. Now, if I understand correctly, there was a law passed by Congress banning 
Many surprise medical bills starting in 2022, which included emergency care, surgeries where patients never meet their doctors, and even air ambulance rides. Why were ground ambulances excluded from this? I think Congress didn't want to get very deep into the complex nature of ground ambulances. Many ground ambulances are owned by municipalities, counties, fire departments. Uh, There's a lot of complex regulations with ground ambulances. So I think Congress just wanted to punt on the issue, knowing how uh, complex the the ownership structure and the regulatory structure was for ground ambulances. Mm. And in an emergency, people don't have the opportunity to check if their provider or a certain procedure is covered by their insurance network. You mentioned in your reporting roughly 85% of all emergency ambulance rides are out of network. Why don't insurance companies cover these rides? It goes to this balance that the two sides uh, really don't like each other. Insurance companies say ambulance providers charge too high of prices, and ambulance providers say insurers don't agree to fair rates. And it's this tug and pull that's just, it's it's emblematic of kind of healthcare negotiations in, in general. And for insurers, they're just, they're not willing to pay any price that an ambulance provider uh, is dictating. Yeah. Is there any solution in sight? No, unfortunately, there's not. Um, Congress has no appetite to take this up right now. There is a committee that's studying the issue, and they're supposed to come out with a report that might come out by the end of this year. But there's really no federal solution. We need a federal solution here because a lot of people are in plans provided by their employers that are governed by federal regulations. So this really takes an act of Congress. And meantime, what happens to patients, financially speaking, when they get caught in this web of surprise ambulance costs? Yeah, in the worst case scenario, they could be taken to collections. They um, they could be taken to court. Their wages could be garnished. Really damaging uh, ramifications for patients. And I think solutions for patients, you really need, if, if you get insurance through your job, you have to get your HR involved. Um, the employers are really the ones that are are going to be able to help with this. You can appeal to the insurance company and you can appeal to the ambulance provider. But oftentimes patients either don't hear back or there's just a long wait time uh, you know, during all those appeals. So if, if those appeals don't work, immediately, immediately go to your HR and, and try and see if, uh, if there's some kind of uh, settlement or, or, or agreement that could be reached. Bob Herman covers the business of healthcare with our editorial partners at STAT, the health and medicine publication. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up, Robin Young speaks with one woman who says a new drug, the first ever pill targeting postpartum depression, saved her life. Stick around. And a warning, this next story is deeply troubling, but it also holds hope for women fighting postpartum depression. Friends and family of Lindsay Clancy have been grappling with the notion that this beloved Massachusetts labor delivery nurse would kill all three of her own children and try to take her own life. And they are now also wrestling with her arraignment in her hospital room on charges of murder. She had posted on social media about struggling with postpartum depression, 
Prosecutors say she appeared fine the day she killed her children and that it was premeditated. Now, we spoke with the head of the Maternal Health Leadership Alliance, which advocates for women with this severe post-birth depression that can rarely become a murderous psychosis. We'll link you to our story and that help at hereandnow.org if you feel you need it now. But meanwhile, that other form of help potentially on the way is a pill called Zoranolone. It's from Sage Therapeutics, the first pill targeting postpartum depression. It works on the same principle as Sage's previous therapy, Zolreso, which was the first FDA-approved medication for postpartum depression. It was an IV drip, an infusion, and according to one of our next guests, It saved her life. Let's bring in Stephanie Hathaway. We want to be clear, Stephanie, you had postpartum depression, not postpartum psychosis. But you tell us you've really been troubled by Lindsay Clancy's story. It's certainly been very triggering. Uh, my husband's been working from home, just to, and I've been in touch with you know my my providers just to make sure that I um, stay at the level where I am, having followed the case. And I've uh, I've experienced a lot of what I think she may have been through. Uh, I'm I'm so thankful, not the psychosis itself, um, but I, I I have been following the story. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk to you in a second, but let's also bring in Dr. Nancy Byatt, a psychiatrist at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School. Dr. Byatt, welcome to you as well. And start with what this is that we're talking about. I mean, we know the hormone progesterone rises towards the end of a pregnancy, then plummets just after a baby is born that can lead to depression. How else do we understand postpartum depression? So there are a few things that we know about postpartum depression. One, it's very common. It occurs in one in seven individuals. And we also know that it's really important that it gets treated because it can have a negative impact on the parent, on the baby, and on birth outcomes. Well, it can have a disastrous impact if the women go into the psychosis, but that is rare, right? It is. Postpartum psychosis occurs in one to two in a thousand. So it's far less common than postpartum depression. And yet what we've discovered from listeners is that some didn't know it could happen at all. This idea that a mother could be so delusional, hear voices that tell her to kill her children, uh, sometimes to save them. Uh, You and others who treat women can use standard antidepressants, but they take time to work? So generally, oral antidepressants, it can be two to four weeks, but often it can take a month to work. And one of the exciting things about the new medication, Zoranolone, that is being currently you know, tested, they're seeking FDA approval for, is that it works quickly. It's a rapid-acting antidepressant. And also, it's the first oral medication that has an indication specifically for postpartum depression. Right. Well, let's bring back Stephanie for a second, because again, uh, Stephanie, can you help people understand this isn't just a little sadness. What was this that you were feeling? You know, Robin, mine really came out of left field. I had never in my life experienced any sort of depression or anxiety. So when I was living overseas and I gave birth to my first child eight years ago, I found myself about two weeks after her birth holding her in a chair for about six hours. And these thoughts, very intrusive thoughts of your husband deserves a better wife, your daughter deserves a better mom, the world would be better off without you. And then thoughts of of how to proceed with those thoughts. Mm. And I immediately reached out for help at that point. Well, you had it with your second child as well. And along the way, you entered this clinical trial for Sage Therapeutics' first drug. Again, this was called Zoreso. And this is the 60-hour IV drip. 
How did you go into it and how did you come out of it? Sure. So uh, my second bout with postpartum depression was even worse than my first. You know, honestly, my husband and I had talked about it and I felt like this was my last hope. I I got the infusion. I went to sleep and about, I don't know, eight hours after the infusion started, I woke up from a nap because they brought me a dinner and I immediately recognized that those intrusive thoughts were gone. And I think the most amazing part for me is they have never come back. Whoa. How would you describe it? How, how did that feel? It was like a fog had lifted. I had been a shell of myself for so long. And all of a sudden, I looked down at this plate of meatloaf and peas and noodles that they had brought. And I thought, I can make a meatloaf at home. <laughs> I hadn't wanted to cook in months. Mm. I called my husband and I will never forget him saying, Stephanie, I haven't heard the you in your voice in so long. Mm. Dr. Byatt. I can hear women, and maybe even desperate women, thinking I would give anything for that, but this is too good to be true. How does this work? Yeah, it's a great question. I want to add a couple things, too. Stephanie, I just want to thank you for sharing what you're sharing. It's so important that we share our experiences and our lived expertise around these things. And what, Stephanie, you're describing is very common. You know how it felt suddenly you described how you had these intrusive thoughts and you also described how you felt that, you know, your husband, and I think you said the baby perhaps would be better off without you. These are the kind of things that can happen. And when we see postpartum psychosis, what happens there is that people can also feel the world is better off without their baby and they can have these altruistic Mm. delusions. That's very different, I know, than what you experienced. Mm. And you had asked, Robin, how these medications work. What these are doing is they're interacting with a system in the brain called GABA, and that is a novel mechanism. GABA, a a neurotransmitter, it helps regulate mood. We'll link everyone at herenow.org to the full explanation of how the postpartum pill works, but it's said to work to boost and regulate mood levels. And what I think is particularly exciting is that it works quickly because in the studies for zoranolone, depression symptoms decreased in three days. Um, And, you know, we don't want people to wait. I mean, when someone's postpartum and they have a baby and they're feeling so badly about themselves and their baby, a month is too long. Well, Dr. Byatt, we know that one of the problems with the first drug from Sage was that it took 60 hours. It was this infusion. It was very expensive. You have to sit in the infusion Mm -hmm. chair. This is a pill. I feel I'm hearing you say we're waiting for the FDA approval. No therapy works for everyone. There will be people for whom it won't work. But Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have a lot of faith in this. So, you know, the the data, they've done randomized controlled trials on Zoranolone. The data suggests that there is clinical improvement in depression symptoms within three days. And at day 45, that symptom improvement is sustained. So what I find exciting as a psychiatrist in working with people is the data that is available from the randomized controlled trials on Zoranolone suggests that this is an effective medication that is rapid acting. And that is new, and it's also the first medication for postpartum depression. And I guess, Dr. Byatt, if this does get FDA approval, is it sounds like this is a potential game changer. And I'm just wondering, as someone who sees these women, your thoughts on that, your personal thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, I do. It's an innovation that I think will have a big impact on our field. I also want to add 
that. The other thing we want to be thinking about is making sure that people can actually have access to this medication. Right. It can be very hard to see a psychiatrist. So while I think these biological, new biological therapies, including medications like xeranolone, are really exciting, we have to parallel that with making sure that once these medications are on the market, that people can access them. Keep an eye on the possible inequities. Um, Stephanie Hathaway, you've said an early version of this pill saved your life. Your depression lifted like a fog. I'm sure you're thinking of other women. You say you're thinking of Lindsay Clancy, who's been charged with murder. All of that story is so troubling. But what is troubling you? My biggest concern with the case is, in my opinion, a misunderstanding that she premeditated this uh, because of her Mm. actions. And the reason I say that is because in those months and months and months that I was going through hell... There were so many days I spoke to my mother-in-law like my normal self. And I went to every doctor's appointment and I took my kids to school and, you know, Mm -hmm. came home. I did everything I normally do. And no one would have known Mm -hmm. that 99% of that day I had an intention of what to do that night to end everything. To end your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, hearing the prosecution state their case was very hard because... Mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep saying, no, 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 I, I've i been there, and I get it, and it's heartbreaking. You know, we're going to follow the case. You know, we we don't know where this is going to go, right. but a lot of women who have had postpartum depression are saying what you're saying, that there needs to be more education mm-hmm. about what it is. You know, in response to what Stephanie said, it's so true, and I think what parents do, and especially what mothers do, is they, we often, we often, you know, ignore our needs and ignore what may be going on, Mm. even if we're struggling, and and continue to take care of our kids. And just because we may have done that, that doesn't mean that we're not really struggling inside. That's psychiatrist Nancy Byatt. We've also been speaking with Stephanie Hathaway, a mom of three who credits her recovery from postpartum depression to a drug that is now in pill form. And Zoranolone is now under review by the FDA. A decision is expected by August 5th. We'll have all that information at herenow.org. Stephanie, Dr. Byatt, I just want to thank you both so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This show comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Julia Corcoran, Hafsa Qureshi, and Karen Miller-Medson. Our editors are Todd Munt, Julia Corcoran, Peter O'Dowd, Jill Ryan, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Max Liebman and Mike Moschetto. Theme music by Max, Mike, and me. Our digital producers are Grace Griffin and Allison Hagen. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. And once again, if you want to help with earthquake relief, we've got some links on where you can donate at our website, hereandnow.org. Thank you.